Thanks, Bev. And also thank you to Caleb. He's not here. He's gone up to bl the blast for reading that particular passage from Matthew. As has been pointed out this morning a number of times, this is on the Christian calendar. This is called Palm Sunday. And I could have read for a number of different passages, but I chose to read from Matthew 21. Matthew, as you know, was writing to principally to the Jews and his aim in writing the gospel was to prove that Jesus was the king, that Jesus was the Messiah. As I said, all four gospels uh, relate this particular incident of Jesus going into, uh, on Palm Sunday, going into Jerusalem. Uh, Matthew and John are the only two that quote the passage from Zechariah. But Matthew fills it out in even more detail than the other three Gospels. And that's why I got Caleb to read from Matthew 21. Matthew, as I said, was at pains to point out that Jesus was the King, that Jesus was the Messiah. If you know the other Gospels, uh, Mark uh, principally refers to Jesus as the servant. Luke as the Son of Man. It's his humanity that comes out in more detail in Luke. And Luke doesn't quote Zechariah at all when it comes to this particular incident. But John does quote this particular passage in Zechariah we'll be looking at. But John is at pains to point out that Jesus is the Son of God. But coming back to Matthew, Matthew is the one that writes his gospel trying to point out that Jesus is the King, Jesus is the Messiah, to tell the world about Jesus as the Messiah. And of course, there's another person that was at pains to point out that Jesus is the Messiah. It was this person. Anyone know who that is? No? He was at pains to point out that Jesus is the Messiah. B, no, not Bach, Handel. He wrote an oratorio called The Messiah. And the interesting thing about The Messiah is that he didn't write the words. A man called Charles Jennings wrote the words, who was an English poet. And just about every single word that's included in the oratorio is taken verbatim from the Bible. Another interesting thing is that Handel wanted this performed at Easter time. He wrote it to be performed at Easter. Now we tend to sing the Hallelujah Chorus at Christmas time. I'm not sure why, because Handel wrote it specifically for Easter. The other thing about this particular passage is that all, all proceeds, another thing about this oratorio is all proceeds during Handel's lifetime, and obviously not since then, but during Handel's lifetime, all proceeds went and were donated to the poor. But one other interesting fact about this oratorio, the Messiah, is that he deals principally with the incarnation and the passion 
and very little reference, if any, is made to his life during those three years of ministering, of healing the sick and preaching. But there's one other incident, one incident apart from the incarnation and the passion that he does include in the oratorio, and it's this one here. It's his victorious entry into Jerusalem. So I want to talk about Jesus as the king, the way Matthew does. And I want to talk about, first of all, the fact that he was the rightful king. He was the rightful king because the Jews of his day would have known this particular passage. They would have known Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Many of the Jews, particularly those like the Apostle Paul that I mentioned a few weeks ago, who studied under Gamaliel, many of those in the crowd at that time would have known about this passage. And they would have known that this was talking about the Messiah. And yet, as we see some five days later, of course, they completely forget all about that. How fickle the crowd can be. But maybe some in the crowd even knew about a, pre a prior reference to the Messiah, riding on a donkey. And this one was at the time of Solomon's coronation, when Solomon was declared king. And it says this, it says they had Solomon get on King David's mule or donkey and they brought him down to the Gihon Springs. So maybe some of them would have even gone back that far and known that this uh, entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on a donkey had reference way, way back to when Solomon was crowned king. Now, we have... A coronation coming up in England next month. I suspect that he won't be arriving at Westminster Abbey on a donkey. But Jesus arrived on a donkey, not on a horse. But maybe some in the crowd might have even known about a reference even further back in Genesis 49. And this is Jacob's words, where he says about, um, he says about Judah... And Jesus, of course, was from the tribe of Judah. He says this, The right to rule will not leave Judah. The ruler's scepter will not be taken from between his feet. It will be his until the king it belongs to will come. The nations will obey that king. He will tie his donkey to a vine. He will tie his colt to the very breast branch. Maybe some in the congregation, some in the crowd might have even been able to go all the way back to that particular reference. But it's interesting. If they knew about the reference in uh, 1 Kings that I mentioned, where Solomon gets on David's donkey, maybe that's why they called him the son of David. It says in, in the passage, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Maybe that's why they used the reference to the son of David. So he was the rightful king, the one who, of whom it had been prophesied many, many times. And those who knew their Bible would have known those prophecies. And then it goes on, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna simply means save or save us. 
The problem, of course, is that did they really recognise him as the Messiah? As I said, five days later, the crowd were baying for his death. As I said, how fickle the crowd can be. But Matthew was at, at pains to point out that this is the king. This is their rightful king. This is the Messiah. Matthew also points out that he is the victorious king. As I said in that passage in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Did they recognise him as their victorious king? Now, interestingly, the Hebrew actually says righteous and saved. And the various translators have had issues trying to translate that because Jesus didn't need saving. Some of them say righteous and having salvation, which is certainly true. The NIV says righteous and victorious, and he certainly was victorious. But when it was translated way, way back in King James' uh, time, they were translating it from a version that had righteous and, and, and saved, but they didn't know what to say, how to put it. So they said righteous and victorious, or righteous and having salvation. But Jesus was saved, not on this particular day, but some six or seven days later on Easter Sunday because the word saved can mean delivered as well so Jesus himself was delivered but we don't celebrate that on Palm Sunday of course we celebrate it on Easter Sunday but they were crying out it says Hosanna to the son of David meaning save or save us they were asking the victorious king to save them they were crying out for salvation and lastly, Jesus is the gentle king. So he's the rightful king. They should have recognised him as the rightful king if they knew their Bibles. He was the victorious king coming in on a donkey. Not on a horse, as would have been the case with uh, many of the Roman generals of the time. If they captured a city, they would enter on a horse. Jesus came in on a donkey. And Zechariah says, lowly and riding on a donkey. So how can Jesus be gentle but not weak? Well, meekness, of course, is not weakness. Jesus came in as the humble servant. Jesus came in as a gentle king. But as I said, gentleness is not weakness. If you go further back in Zechariah, or further on, I should say, to verse 10, after verse 9, which we quoted, it says this, He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule would extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So he may have been the gentle king, but as I said, meekness is not weakness. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from shore to shore. He will be the, uh, the, the king of kings and lord of lords. As we find out when we look at the Hallelujah Chorus later on. So he's going to, to extend, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends 
of the earth. So how can he be the gentle king and also be the victorious king? How can he be omnipotent, all-powerful and yet gentle? We know him, of course, as the gentle king. But in a coming day, every knee will bow to him. He won't be the gentle king in a coming day. And I want to read this passage from, from Philippians 2. It says this, So God lifted him up to the highest place. This is verse 9. God gave him the name that is above every name. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone will kneel down to worship him. Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will kneel down to worship him. Everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord and God the Father will receive the glory. We bow our knee now to the rightful king, the victorious king, the gentle king. And we do it voluntarily. But in a coming day, everyone will bow the knee. They won't have a choice. They have a choice now. But in a coming day, they won't have any choice. They will have to bow the knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want to finish, and we should pray, of course, for those we know of our families and friends who are yet to bow the knee, that they may do it voluntarily. But I want to finish with a few lines from, because I've been talking about Handel and the Oratorio Messiah, I want to finish with a few words from the Hallelujah Chorus. And I don't know about you, whenever I hear the Hallelujah Chorus, I just... My, something goes up my back. I just sort of... I don't know how to explain it. Why don't we stand? And if you want to sing it, sing it. Uh, someone like Dennis Fanner might want to sing it. He's got a good voice. Uh, I'm just going to get us to read these words because this is the whole point that Matthew was trying to, for, to bring home to everyone who read this particular passage, that Jesus is the King of Kings. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I can't sing it, I don't have a voice. But you, let's, just, let's just read it. I think it's, it's, the words are wonderful. King of kings and Lord of lords, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let us pray while we're standing. Lord Jesus, we do indeed, Lord, bow before you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank you that we who are here today have voluntarily bowed our knee to you, committed to follow you, and we look forward to that day, Lord, when every knee will bow before you. But right now, we lift up your name in holy praise that you indeed are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We give thanks, Lord, in your name. 
And all the people said, Amen.